This is the Broken Education Podcast, brought to you by the Vigo Podcast Network. In this series, we shine a spotlight on prominent figures in education, government, tech, and investment who are passionate about bridging gaps in education. Join us as we dive deep into key challenges in education and explore innovative solutions and groundbreaking ideas that could revolutionize the future of learning. Welcome back to the Broken Education Podcast, where every week we shine a light on the challenges we are facing in the education world. We have the hard conversations with founders, educators, investors, and everything between to really understand where we need to come together to push education forward. I'm your host, Jody Trapani, and I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Vigo. Vigo is a support ecosystem platform that helps educators connect their students to their support ecosystem, be that their mentors, tutors, advisors, or anyone they need on their journey. And we're doing this podcast to connect with the leaders and change makers to have the real conversation about where education is at today. And today, we're joined by my friend Dave Sherwood, the co-founder and CEO of BibliU, a learning enablement platform that empowers higher education institutions to streamline their textbook and courseware workflows and improve student outcomes, affordability, and social mobility. Dave works with all the key publishers, including Pearson, Wiley, OUP, McGraw-Hill, Macmillan, and Cengage and serves as some of the best universities in the world, including MIT, Grand Canyon, Oxford, and many, many more. Before BibliU, Dave was a Rhodes Scholar, where he studied at Oxford, but dropped out to start BibliU when he saw just how bad the textbook problem was in his own university experience. A very Zuck-like story. <laughs> um, Dave is an exceptionally good leader and understands what it takes to create real impact at scale. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Welcome, Dave. Thanks so much for coming on today, mate. Thanks, Joel. Good to be here. Look, before we jump into the questions, could you tell me a little bit more about Bibliu? I've tried to do a little bit of a description, um, which I may have taken from your LinkedIn, but I'd love to hear it in your words. What's the problem here that you're solving? Yeah, well, essentially, um, you know, as a student at at Oxford University and before that in Perth at UWA, um, I found myself that that textbooks were like unaffordable, but also there was not really good digital access available to them. And importantly, you know, there were lots of things software could do to make the student experience and student engagement and student performance better that just weren't being um, utilized. So, so essentially, Bibli was built to address those challenges. And consequently, as often is the case as a business grows, we've not just tried to touch on the student experience, but we've really tried to go deep on the institutional experience and the workflows as well, which are really important for all B2B businesses. And, and how does that I guess that problem and your solution impact the world of education. What 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 are you seeing as that as this kind of like ripples out further and further? What are you trying to change? Yeah, great great question. Well, actually, um, we we had a study recently done at Jackson College, Michigan, one of our um, uh, great partners in the U.S. and we we saw a correlation between BibliU and a fifteen percent increase in retention, and also a correlation with a one point GPA increase too. So so I'd say the key for us is to drive student outcomes, and consequently that drives better institutional outcomes in in terms of revenue and reviews and you know um, happy institutions, and ultimately the two together with you know students performing better institutions doing better hopefully social mobility improves i I would touch on obviously correlation is not causation and i'm not trying to make the claim that that one causes the other but one one thing that that data does tell you is that the institute we can tell the institution from day one which student is likely to drop out and which student is is likely not to based on how active they are on 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 and so it's really then 
giving that data back to the institution through our dashboards to empower them to act on on it and try to drive you know student engagement 15 percent is a wild outcome like that is such a massive improvement yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got to remember here, we're talking about a community college in, in, in Michigan where, um, you know, uh, it, it's like on the critical frontier of, of students either passing a degree and getting like a quite well-paid job, often in, in, in sort of automotives or, 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 or similar type um, in industries around the, the region or not. And so I'd say a, a lot of these community colleges have pretty similar stats in terms of Drop, dropouts being a huge, huge issue for them, um, and and the government and the institution are quite incentivized and focused on trying to drive it up. But often they they don't have any technology really to help them do that. Um, and, and the existing technology, like the LMSs and things like that, have really not helped them with this challenge. So, yeah, man, that's it's just like so inspiring to hear just how much technology can change the experience for people. You know, like fifteen percent is such a big number, and just think about like the amount of lives that are getting changed there just by having access to this kind of system is is wild and and that's how we love doing this show because we get to see that there are problems here and, and technology is such an easy way to solve them or it can be such an easy way to solve them when we actually you know i guess like partner with universities and, and implement in the right way but i guess if i take a step a, l- a little bit further back you know your your career to date has has been pretty exciting you know like get, get, getting that road scholarship going to oxford that's like a dream, but you were very much on like a, a science path and then a, pol- a politics path and then something happened and now you've just gone straight down education. Like this is it. And you dropped everything to, to go down and, and to dedicate your life to helping others. What, what happened? What were the experiences that have led to that? Yeah, it was a bit random really. The, the, it makes more sense, I suppose, if, if I um, piece together the sequence. So at, um, UWA, I wanted to be a researcher in chemistry. I, I, I did a funny honours on on bees and and their reproduction and and um, nanoparticles, um, but but basically didn't like lab work and and decided that that sort of life wasn't for me. And frankly, I wasn't very good at it. Um, and but I, I just by pure chance, a friend and I, Trav, um, had had set up a charity to do free maths and. Uh, English tutoring called Teach, Learn, Grow. I'm, I'm still on the board of it now. So so we're 19, but we didn't set out to set up a charity. We just did a volunteering trip to a rural school. We're both from rural areas uh, as like a give back because we felt we should try and do something positive that's not just like studying and drinking and partying or whatever you do at university, right? But, but that week, which was just a one-off thing, was so um, fun and such a positive experience. And we personally were tutoring as well. We were coordinating the thing, but we were tutoring. That I think I got hooked, not necessarily on education, but certainly on like, um, uh, you know, impact and 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 a product. Uh, the product, obviously, tutoring in, in this case, and running an organization, and and so scaled that quite a bit. And by the end of my time there, was like very sure I didn't want to do chemistry and wanted to do this type of entrepreneurship. And then I, I, with the scholarship to come to Oxford, I utilized that as a vehicle to. Um, bring me to a, an, a, a, you know, a, a, an interesting market with great investors and publishers and everything like that, but had no intention of pursuing, you know, further study or, or that kind of traditional career. And so when I came to Oxford, I think in the first week I'd already incorporated Biblio. Like I knew coming here, I wanted to start a business. Um, 
And I picked education just by virtue of the fact it was a big problem I was facing. I was certainly open to other sectors. I wasn't set on education, but it does kind of fit neatly with Teach Don't Grow in retrospect. I love it, man. Well, I guess, you know, you, you've picked an industry that we, we both care about a lot. And over time, you, you've, you know, you've created this incredible organization that's growing and, and impacting people in so many countries around the world now as you, as you expand and you expand. You, you've now had like a much bigger picture of education. You, you, you started from your own experience and you've gone so much beyond that. And, and, and as you've, I guess, you've scaled to new heights. I'd love to understand where do you think education is most broken today? Yeah, good question. I, I think it's pretty clear that, and, and you see both the UK and the US um, governments trying to intervene. I, the gainful em, em, employment um, regulation kind of sums up what I think the big problem is in, in that um, the, the, the average debt for the average student versus the average salary coming out of university, that ratio is skewed and it's gone from very good and you know university should be something everyone attempts to do to significantly worse over the last 10, maybe 15 years, um, may, maybe even 20 years, but probably since the, the, the GFC. And ultimately the institutions, and you're seeing enrollment declines and this kind of thing, you're seeing a lot more kids just going straight into employment, employers having their own training schemes and apprenticeship schemes, even for white collar stuff as well. Um, and it's really on the institutions to get that ratio right, like try and get costs down for, for the, the tuition and the loan and try really hard to align their courses better with high paid jobs to get get the, the, the salaries up. Uh, and unfortunately, everything's just happening really slowly. The, the average institution, the government, the, this new regulation, they just excluded all the non-for-profits from from it, which kind of defeats the purpose of it because the for-profits make up like 5% of the market. Um, so yeah, interesting times though, Joel. Why have universities and colleges become so expensive? Where is that cost going? Well, it's a great question. Well, as we just made the point there, most of them are not-for-profit, right? So it's it's not... It's not a matter of shareholders profiteering, which I think is often the assumption when prices increase a lot. Um, but 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 at the same time, um, the, the not-for-profits aren't turning huge um, surpluses. You know, outside of maybe a few in the Ivy League or, or, or Russell Group, most of them are actually barely breaking even, or some even running losses. Uh, quite a lot have gone bankrupt in the last ten years. M- many many more in the last ten years than probably the previous fifty years before that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I guess they're spending on more staff. Um, that, that would be the primary driver. And I guess some of those staff do teaching, but a lot of them potentially do research or other things. And ultimately, um, you know, as, as an executive of, of an institution, you, you, you're not necessarily incentivized to run a surplus or get costs down until recently because the students would just keep paying and enrolling. And so you could hire a hundred more people and build a new building and launch a new research initiative. Not necessarily bad things, but certainly not helping the student um, get a higher salary at the end of their, their program. So I guess, you know, as the, it sounds like the, the cost for students have gone up and it's not like, you know, thank God that's going into pockets, but the university is spending that I guess, have you noticed in over, over, you know, the growth of Bibliu, any trends of where that money is now going over the last 10 or 20 years? Have there been like massive increases where there is maybe investments in buildings or support staff or, or research? Like, does, does it feel like maybe universities are, are over, 
over investing in, in any particular areas or, or just thinking about the investment structure wrong? I haven't done analysis in, in the UK, for instance, all the budget information's publicly available. And also the UK has a really interesting step change where the fees were, you, you know this, I'm sure, were like five grand-ish in 2010, and then they jumped to 11 grand 2011. And, and so essentially doubling their, their revenues, right? And, and where's that money gone? Um, my guess, as I said, would be largely just hiring a ton of new staff, not necessarily staff that are involved with teaching the students or, or trying to get the students into to, to more um, lucrative careers. And buildings, yeah, tons of buildings. You go to any campus in the UK or US and you normally see a bunch of new buildings. And when enrollments have been pretty steady over that period, why are you building new buildings? Like, yeah, they look nicer and they're good for recruitment purposes. Maybe if you need them for a lab or something like that. But but, but frankly, like the old building is probably fine. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, but again, there's, there's not really an incentive for the executive to drive these um to, to optimize this employment ratio between wages and tuition. There's no bonuses. Um, there's no equity, obviously. The government aren't pinning them on it, although it looks like they will start too soon. So, so w where was the incentive for the executive to, to, to do those things? I think the executive have been historically much more focused on research. And I'm sure a bunch of this extra money has gone into useful research, which is great, but 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 at the expense of, you know, graduate um, loans and salaries maybe maybe not quite maybe they've pushed it too far potentially and i guess you know if, if we do boil this whole problem down it it does feel like maybe what we're going to narrow in on is is this incentivization for executives there so i think that's a, that's a really interesting one where the the prices have hiked the the costs have hiked as well but the the outcome for students hasn't hiked it and and it's because the the executives haven't necessarily been incentivized to grow and change and, and reshape the institution for for that one fundamental outcome, which most people are choosing university for. I guess, you know, if that doesn't change, if, if that incentivization structure doesn't change for, for the executives and for the universities, what's at stake? You know, where, where do you see the world, the world going and the HE world going? Yeah, I think you see it already, particularly in the US. Enrollment decline has been very significant since COVID. And it's partially being offset by the fact they have more 17-year-olds coming through the system, the dual credit side of the equation. But but that's not really, that's not solving the problem. That's just lucky that they're more 17-year-olds now than before. What, what you're trying to solve for is a percentage of any age cohort that actually goes to uni and, and passes and gets through. Um, yeah, I think ultimately big decline enrollment because people will start deciding economically it's not a good decision to, to the point where people might be declining degrees that actually are economically a good decision because they're kind of broad brush painting the sector as not a good decision for them. Whereas historically, as you know, pretty well, any parent uh, like thinks it would be good for their kid to go to uni because of the economics. So I think that kind of brand could be tarnished and ultimately lots of um, bankruptcies and consolidation in, in, in the sector, which again, we're already already seeing. So I think it's really an existential crisis for the majority of institutions. You know, clearly the top tier, you know, your Ivy Leagues, Russell Group, they'll be fine. And and mostly their um, loan to, to average salary ratios are not too bad. They should definitely improve and they haven't improved as much as they could and often have been flat. But um, yeah, it's a tale of two two types of institution, I guess. Yeah. 
it feels like maybe institutions with, I guess, who are selective about their students and have that enough brand, they can kind of keep that, the, that, that value there on the end, because when someone's selective on the way in, it generally means that students are selective about their jobs on the way out. And just because that brand carries so much weight. Exactly. And so I don't think it's as much of those degrees actually teaching many good hard skills, but more the fact they're recruiting well, because it's easy for them to do so, which is your point. And, And really like what's at stake here is social mobility, right? Because ultimate and productivity, ultimately unis, um, you know, help people move from the, the lower economic groups to the upper ones and help us as a society all earn more money on average by productivity increases. And if, if people stop going to university and you're getting a high paid job at Amazon directly, I'm not sure necessarily social mobility or productivity move in the right direction. Maybe they move in, in the wrong direction or stay flat. So I feel like people not going to university is not actually helping society either. It's just a rejection of a certain um, model i suppose yeah look this is this is one of my favorite questions i, I love to ask i guess and I, I still don't have the right language to ask it so i just have to re-explain myself but you know if if we were to just completely ignore some problems what problems would cause universities to go extinct in 10 years now i know we both don't think mm-hmm. that's going to happen i think universities will change but what problems would be so severe that they would cause university to go extinct? Yeah, I, and I think it depends how you, you count extinct. I, I think I can't see a scenario where a Harvard or an Oxford is gone. But if, if we say 75% of them are gone, universities, that's that's close enough. I think that's devastatingly um, uh, close to being extinct. Um, well, I think this problem, if so if this problem were to get worse, let's say um, loans go up a lot over the next 10 years, as they have historically, and and the average salaries coming out stays flat. Yeah, I could I could see a quarter of institutions going down. So if, if you just make that ratio worse and worse and worse, you could see that. Um, what else? Uh, I think that's that's the obvious thing. I mean, you you've probably thought about this quite a lot too. What what, what do you think? Um, uh, the existential crises they could face. Yeah, you know, cost is a huge one. Absolutely. And then also, you know, as enrollments go down, retention has gone down too, which is crazy. So they're getting less students and, and they can't keep them. So yeah. I think if, if universities don't work out how to actually serve their students and, and help them get through to the end and, and have those kind of graduate outcomes, that will end them too, you know, because because if these loans are going up and then more and more students aren't even getting to the end, so they're not even getting the university outcome that they're paying these extreme amounts of money for. Um, that's going to cause huge issues. So I guess, you know, if we, if we keep seeing retention drop in, and I personally think that's because social experience is completely missing from most institutions, especially in the online world. I think that's a good point. Social experience is critical for retention. And the other thing we haven't touched on is because that, that's kind of universities creating a problem for themselves. Um, but the other side of it is technology and not necessarily technology, but just new entrants and new universities um, doing things much better and, and, and taking um, or, or, or non-universities. So Lambda School, for instance, um, they are free, except they take, I don't know, 10% of your salary for a few years and they try to train you into becoming a software engineer, right? And, and so that's where the incentives are perfectly aligned between student and institution. 
Um, and I definitely think we could see more um, more of those type of models coming through, more like online software type models, et cetera. Um, yeah, it's an, an interesting time. And, and the two go together, right? Like the worse the, the engagement, the employment outcomes are on the university sides and the better they are on the, the non-university side, you know, the more people will, will leave. I, th I think part of it is like, if you think of a Lambda school like that, they should probably be given degree awarding powers. Like if, if you're getting employed by Google as a software engineer, but it took six months, how's that worse than getting a computer science yeah. degree from a university and then not getting a job at all? Um, I so think I think part of it is the, the government needs to embrace the new tech players and give more of them um, and more employers degree awarding powers, right? So... I guess another challenge I actually see here that, that you brought up for me is that all of these new educational institutions and, and, and old schools that we see coming along, they have such a tough time when they actually want to work as a university or a, yep. like a, a registered higher educational institution. And the government makes it so hard for them. So like one of my, my two favorite schools in the world would be Kibo School, which is based out of Africa or Minerva, which is based out of America. They do, you know, amazing jobs at giving different kinds of education to students, which I absolutely love and the graduate outcomes are exceptional. But, but those schools, they're not allowed to just start as a university. They have to like partner with existing universities, use their license and like do that for a few years, get some proof points. And like the, the system is so broken that it doesn't allow for these new systems to come in. So you I do think what's going to yeah. happen is that if, if the government doesn't allow for this and, and, and make it easier for new entrants, they're just going to get completely bypassed and the government's going to have no say and, and have no input on, on how students, I guess, are going to take their own educational journey into their own hands. It's a really good point. Though I do think the degree awarding power is such an influential thing in the minds of parents, particularly, but also kids, that like for this transition to happen on mass, um, away from a more traditional provider to a, a new provider, they, they do really need to give the degree awarding powers to others. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. If, if they don't, like the government's reducing their um, influence. For, for instance, the UK only opened up to for-profit universities in the last few years. Like they weren't even really <laughs> allowed. That's so then. recent. Yeah. And so BPP and Uni of Law have been around for a long time. They had some special license, I think. I think it was about 10 years ago that the UK government was like, okay, we'll, we'll allow, you know, more, um, more entrants in that aren't not-for-profits because you don't really get new not-for-profit entrants, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so, yeah. Wow. Well, look, let's, uh, we'll bring this one to a close. And uh, just with my final question, if you had one message you could deliver to any world leader about education, who would you choose and what would you say? Well, that's a good Good question. Well, I think the the leader with the most power um, is the U.S. president. Um, so you could have the most impact by speaking to them. Um, I wouldn't pick any particular president. The sitting president's always the logical choice because they they're in power. Um, yeah, and and in terms of what I would say, I think really it would be a lot of what we've talked about, Joel. Like they need to basically only pay institutions where the 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 um, you know loan to average salary ratio is good, or, or set up an incentive structure where you get m more money for those students and less for others, etc. And therefore, you really focus the execs' minds and incentivize them correctly on the right outcomes. 
and you make it really easy for new entrants to get degree awarding powers whilst maintaining quality standards etc um, the u.s has a pretty robust for-profit for-profit space but it but it's been declining actually the last 10 years not 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 increasing so um i think are the, the key things and, and just ultimately they need to remember that um if they want to improve productivity and create better wealthier happier healthier societies they need to make uh, k-12 and higher education a massive priority and reform both of them right so yeah i love it well we'll deliver it you know we'll, we'll get in front of the sitting president we'll have him <laughs> we'll say Dave Sherwood said this, and, uh, and, and now listen. <laughs> well, uh, look, we've, we've come to a kind of point here, but we'll wrap this one up. Yeah. Dave, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, I love our conversations. I'm glad we got to record one of them. Um, thanks for sharing your stories, your advice, and your visions for the future. This has been another episode of the Broken Education Podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to stay up to date, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app or go to LinkedIn and hit follow on the Vigo page.